through Grace Ann Arbor. My name is John Compton, and I am the pastor of mission here at Grace, and I have the privilege of giving the last installment of our series on church, Why Bother? If you're uh, new with us or new with Grace uh, and are interested in getting to know a little bit uh, more about us, these past four weeks, including this one, we've been going over our core values, and if you're uh, interested in learning more about us, the, all of our Sermons are online, and that's a good place to, to take a listen to those if you have time and of interest, and it gives you a good picture of what we seek to be as a church here in Ann Arbor. And as a pastor of mission, I, uh, of course, get the, the privilege to talk about the, the most important core value, which is mission. Um, and thanks for those who laughed. Um, and we are going to look at the most quoted passage in the Old Testament in America today. And I have a feeling that no matter how well-versed you are, whether you were a previous uh, Bible verse champion, quiz champion, or whether you're you're new to church, I guarantee you, I I would bet that everybody's seen this verse. It's in Jeremiah 29. Does anybody have any guesses on what it might be? Say that a little louder. No, that's close. For I know the plans that I have for you. Perhaps you've seen it in this form. Or maybe like this, or maybe in a nursery, or you're looking for nursery ideas, like this, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at what, what I'll call the secret sauce of these plans, which is to engage with God and his mission in this world. And to get started, we're going to briefly look at what it looks like, what happens when we don't engage in mission in this world. And it's kind of a blunt answer, but I think it's not an exaggeration to say that the absence of mission leads to death and destruction. The absence of mission leads to death and destruction. T.S. Eliot has this great line in one of his plays where he writes, half the harm that is done in this world is due to people who want to feel important. They don't mean to do harm, but the harm does not interest them. Or they do not see it, or they justify it because they are absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of themselves. I know this very well because I uh, am often self-absorbed. No better, probably the peak of my self-absorption, probably for many of us, was in my teenage years. Uh, one time I was uh, a part of my uh, youth group when I was in high school, and I forget exactly what I had done, but I had done something um, wrong. I had like, hurt somebody else in the, the youth group or, or something, and I knew my youth pastor wasn't going to be thrilled when he heard about it. And I remember going to this meeting one Sunday night and, and thinking, like, not sure if he knew or if he didn't know, and I walk in the room, and I can tell right away that he knows. He is really upset um, doesn't look happy to, 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 to be happy with me. And so right away I start thinking, like, oh, how can I get out of this? Like, how can I spin this? How can I make it seem not as bad or really that person's fault? You know, you know what we do. Um, and then I look around the room and I realize that every volunteer leader that's ever helped with the youth group is also there. And so now I'm like really concerned because I'm convinced that what's going to happen after our youth group meeting is that the youth pastor is going to like pull me aside into a separate room and we will have like this, this judgment panel 
um, that will, will, will convict me of my crimes. And so I, I'm really anxious. I'm not paying attention at all to the whole thing. And our, our formal time ends, and the, my youth pastor comes up to me, and I'm ready. I'm thinking, what should I say? And then he gives me a big hug. And I find out that what my, what's happening is my youth pastor, for the first time in his life, is going through clinical depression. And the reason why he's not happy with me is because he's not happy. He's going through a really difficult time. And the reason why all those leaders are there are not for me, right? But they were there to provide him support. But I was so self-absorbed that I didn't see any of it. And that's what happens when we're not in the mission of God is we get absorbed in this endless struggle to think well of ourselves. You know, these past few weeks we've been if you're like me, you've been kind of shocked to see everything going on uh, around the doctor from Michigan State who uh, sexually assaulted over 100 women. And now that he's been uh, convicted and sentenced, the question kind of moves to, you know, who knew and didn't say anything? And, and beyond that will be this other question of, of who didn't know but should have. And the reality is, is often those in that who are caught in either one of those worlds. It's because they're caught in that endless struggle to think well of themselves. They didn't intend harm, but they caused it because we're self-absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of ourselves. And so the lack of mission ignores the injustice in the world, sometimes unintentionally causes harm, and if it continues, can often cause us to self-destruct. Madison uh, was a strong student athlete all throughout high school. She played soccer and ran track and field, and she was smart enough and good enough at these sports that she got a scholarship to Penn, the Ivy League, to run uh, on their track team. And when she got there, she had thought at first that she had arrived, but then she, the struggle started to mount, and she couldn't juggle the, the big three, right? Sports, school, and social life. And to, to make matters worse, she fell into the trap that we talked about last week because the way she engaged the world through technology, specifically Instagram, actually greatly hindered her life. Because what she would do in one hand is present a, a part of her life that looked okay when really she was hurting inside. One point she's home and her mom says to her about a picture, oh, you look so happy. And she's a freshman in college, so she gives the typical response, mom, it's just a picture. And yet at the same time, she couldn't apply that same logic to those she followed on Instagram. Right? She followed her other friends from high school. She followed up her classmen at Penn. And she just looked at them and just was amazed that they were doing it. They were juggling sports, school, and social life. And why couldn't she do it? Why was she failing? And as she was caught and absorbed in this endless struggle to think well of herself, she just couldn't do it. And so a few weeks after returning to school after winter break, she went to a bookstore, bought some gifts for her family, went to a parking garage and went up many flights of stairs, set down the gifts, and took a running leap off the ninth floor. And she died at 19. We get so caught up in this endless struggle to think well of ourselves that we cause injustice, we ignore it, we do harm, and this endless struggle often causes us to self-destruct. But the good news of God, the good news of Jesus, is that he offers us another way. 
he invites us to join him in this mission in the world that both brings justice to the world and sets us free from our self-absorption. And so we're going to look this morning at this passage in Jeremiah before the most quoted passage to see what this mission is all about. But first, let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that you are alive and active, that you have promised to give your spirit to your people. And so we pray for your spirit to move for in our hearts, in our lives, even for those of us who are here today just exploring Christianity, not sure what we believe anymore, on the fence about whether to dive in or step out. And I pray that you would move in our hearts, that we would be set free to serve you and to love others in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage is Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 9. Uh, You can follow on with the passage on the screen, or it's in your Bible in the back of the chair in front of you. Hear these words from the book that we love. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you uh, encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, this letter is from God through the prophet Jeremiah to this people. And to get a little bit of context, just one more verse. Verse 1 says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So the, the context is, right, that the Israel, the people of God, had been forcibly removed from their home in Jerusalem and carried away in exile to Babylon. Right? And, and this is obviously not what they wanted. They didn't want to be there. They were not snowbirds avoiding harsh winter. Right? They, they, they were forcibly and violently taken. And the way Babylon did this is they would invade a place and conquer and defeat the army, and then they would seek to assimilate the best and brightest of a culture by removing them from their homeland and taking them to Babylon. So these people in Babylon are there with their outsiders, their captors, uh, with the intent to, for them to lose their cultural and religious identity. And it's into this dark and difficult situation that they're commanded not just to survive, not to kind of hunker down and weigh out the, wait out the storm, but they're called and commanded to seek the peace and prosperity of the city that they're in, of these people who have violently taken them from their home. And if we look at this phrase, peace and prosperity, we get a glimpse at just how difficult of a task they're really called to. See, this, words, these, this phrase, peace and prosperity, that we use in English, in Hebrew, it's just one word. It's shalom. 
And often, sometimes uh, in English translations, we'll just translate it as peace. But peace doesn't really get at the word shalom. In English, you know, the Merriam-Webster dictionary defines peace as a state of tranquility or quiet. And shalom is so much bigger of a word than just the absence of noise. Shalom means the presence of flourishing on every level and every sphere of life. Emotionally, relationally, economically, to flourish in every area of life. And this is what the people are called to do in this city that they've been taken to. And in some ways, this is a shock to them. If you've ever read parts or most of the Old Testament, it's constantly about the people of Israel either getting to or trying to stay in the promised land. Right? And, and they were told to, to seek their own peace. In fact, in the Psalms, it says, pray for the peace, the shalom of Jerusalem. And now God is inviting them that in the midst of this difficult and dark place, they're actually to seek the peace and prosperity of those around them. So how in the world are they to have the strength to do this? How are they to, to carry out this immensely difficult task? And God says that he's empowering them to do it because he is present there with them. In verse 1, it said that Nebuchadnezzar had carried them into exile. And yet in verse 7, God says that it is I who have carried you into exile. That in the midst of this difficult and painful situation, that God's hands are at work. That nothing has happened outside of his awareness. And this highlights one of the most difficult and sometimes painful truths for us to embrace, is that in the midst of difficulty and pain, God is not absent, but God will actually use that for good. This is highlighted in several stories throughout the Old Testament, but probably uh, clearly, most clearly seen uh, is the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis. Joseph is uh, one of the younger of 12 brothers, and he's a little full of himself. And if you have siblings, and if you're a younger sibling as I am, older siblings do not like younger siblings who are full of themselves. And so the older siblings, though, they go a little over the top. Uh, they uh, first decide that they should kill him, um, and then they decide to be nice to their younger sibling, and they just sell him away uh, in slavery to Egypt. And as Joseph is sold in, as a slave and told, and his siblings tell their, their father that he's dead, as he's a slave, he's doing okay, but then he's falsely accused of sexual misconduct, and so he's thrown in jail. So he goes from being part of this prominent family to being a slave to being in jail. And yet, what eventually happens is that in jail in Egypt, Joseph does something for the king of Egypt and the king of Egypt frees him from jail, places him as second in command, and Joseph is able to lead the, uh, Egypt at a time when his leadership was desperately needed because there was a severe famine in the land, and Joseph knew it was coming and was able to prepare things, and he saved uh, thousands of lives because of the way he rationed food. And he ended up saving his own family. Because during this extreme famine, Joseph's brothers are sent to Egypt because they've heard that they can buy food there. And when they arrived, to their great surprise, they encounter Joseph. 
And they're worried that not only will they not get food, but that, that worse, that Joseph would throw them in jail or leave them for dead. But Joseph says to them, as for you, there we go. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And this is something that we see again and again throughout scriptures, that people will intend something for evil and harm, and God will use it for good. And for Joseph, this wasn't like a pleasant life, right? He had gone from this family to a slave to a, a, an inmate, Right, but he, God used that to put him in position to save thousands of lives by how he rationed food. And what we see in our text in Jeremiah is that what God had done in Joseph's life for an individual, God was now doing for the whole nation. That God was going to use this terrible and horrific situation for good, to spread his kingdom of love and mercy throughout the world. And so while it may be somewhat surprising for the people of Israel to read this command, it shouldn't be surprising to those of us who are familiar at all with Jesus. Because this is what God does. Jesus leaves his heavenly throne and enters the foreign land of this world. And he seeks the peace and prosperity of all who encounter him, even though there are many who seek to ruin and destroy his life. And this reaches its climax, of course, when these people betray Jesus and hand him over to suffer and die a painful death on the cross. And yet what we see on the cross is this beautiful place where what the Pharisees and the Roman leaders intended for evil, God intended for good. As God raises Jesus up from the dead, breaking the bonds of sin and death forever and ever. And the key reality for us as we look at Jesus, is we have to understand him as more than a mere example for us to follow. Right? Jesus is a great example, right? Don't, don't mishear me. He's a great example to follow. He's the, the picture of perfect humanity. But if he is just our example, it, he is too great of a one for us to really follow. We have to grasp that what God has done in Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection has actually changed us. Then we are set free from this endless struggle to think well of ourselves. We have to grasp that what God did in Jesus is he changed us from enemies of God to friends of God. We have to see that that in Jesus, he has taken our reality of chaos and endured the chaos of the cross, that we would be set on a pathway of shalom by being restored to right relationship with God and one another, to experiencing real flourishing in this world, we have to see that in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, what that means is that the God of the universe, the God who created the Milky Way, he thinks well of us. And so who are we to argue with him? You know, I uh, am a parent to two small five- and three-year-old girls, and uh, I would like to say that they will be strong, independent women someday uh, as a parent by how they act now. Uh, they, they may be uh, assertive, is one polite way to put it, but sometimes they're demanding. And so I kind of jokingly, but try to firmly remind them from time to time, girls, who's the boss? And they reply, well, mommy's the boss. <laughs> God is the boss. 
and he thinks well of you. Next to the gifts that, that Madison left to her family, uh, she placed a picture of herself when she was a, a, a younger child holding a tennis racket. And she is full of delight. And she, it's probably a time of her life that she was delighted in and she delighted in the world. And I, and I wonder, as I heard about this, I wonder just how her life would be different if she knew how much God delighted in her. If she knew the depths of God's love for her. So know that however you are here this morning, that the God who set the planets in orbit, that he delights in you. And may his love set you free from that endless struggle to think well of yourself. Because that's what Jesus has done. Jesus has set us free to seek the peace and prosperity of this world. Our text gives us three commands to kind of live out this reality. The first is simply to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. One thing I like to consider from time to time is this reality of, if God answered all my prayers in an instant, what would really change? Like how much would my family's life be different? How different would my neighborhood be, my community be? How different would uh, my city be? How different would, would Detroit be? Would D Detroit be renewed and changed? And the answer is often no, because I, I'm still caught in that endless struggle to think well of myself. And this is why we've got to remind ourselves of these commands to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Secondly, he commands us to settle in. And this is particularly true and uh, helpful in, in a context like ours in Ann Arbor. Right? Many of us are here just for school or just for grad school or we're just going to stay just for our first job. And the people of Israel, they were just in, in Babylon just for a time. It was temporary. And yet God invited them and challenged them to make it their home. And third, God commands them to not believe the lies. Right? In those last two verses, he says, don't listen to these people who are prophesying lies in my name. And for us, I want to encourage us to not believe the lies we tell ourselves to avoid engaging in God's mission. When we convince ourselves that we're not here long enough to really make an impact, that we don't have the gifts and talents to offer to really make any change. Because we're forgetting the God who is alive and active and who has given us his spirit in this world. We've forgotten his commands and his promise. His command to seek the peace and prosperity of the city because in its peace and prosperity is our own. Right? When he says the plans he has for us that he knows, these plans to prosper, that's not with money and riches. It's plans for our shalom. And this pathway isn't one that is easy, isn't one that's free of pain and difficulty, but I guarantee you it is one that no matter what the world throws at you, no matter how much anyone has ever intended evil or harm for you, God intends to use it for good. So will you join him in his mission? And let me pray for us.
God, we thank you for your amazing power, your amazing capacity to use the deepest and darkest moments of our lives for good. And so, God, I pray for those of us especially who are are here and don't want to be here, that you would reveal your love to them, that you would give us eyes to see the ways that you're calling us to serve others, to seek the welfare of someone else, and that in doing so, we would find our own welfare, our own shalom. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.